This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. My name is Doug Cunnington, and I have a special guest host today, Dusty. Ooh, thanks, Doug. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing awesome, and I'm excited to get into the the topic for today, which you you pitched an idea, and I thought this is great. It turns out there's a lot of um, a lot of areas that I had thoughts about, and that's um, behavioral economics, which sounds uh, kind of boring overall. But I think once we talk about it, we'll make it exciting. Yeah. I mean, it really is exciting once you start diving in and you get past the title. Yeah. Just the title sounds bad. It sounds like a college course that I don't want to take, mm-hmm. basically. So, Dusty, we've known each other for a little while, but the listeners and viewers don't know. So, who are you? Yeah. So, what do my you do? name yeah. is Dusty, and I live here in Longmont, Colorado, part of the community here, which I really enjoy. For my day job, I work at Green Path Financial Wellness, which is a national nonprofit, and our focus is on providing financial education and information. In the meantime, I would say that I just really love being part of this community and doing fun things like making Christmas cookies with your wife. Awesome. And when did you get exposed to like the the fire community and financial independence and stuff like that? Yeah. So in 2016, someone sent me the link to the Mad Scientist podcast. And I really dove in deep and I started listening to Bigger Pockets and kind of going on this journey of figuring out what does it look like? How can I take control of my money? Is it possible to retire early? And I actually bought two duplexes on the same day. I don't know if I've ever told you that story. <laughs> The same day? The same day. (laughs) So I dove in and I was so excited about starting on this journey and I was looking for houses and I every offer wasn't going through or I would get to the inspection and something would go wrong and you're back to the drawing board. So I saw two duplexes. They were both amazing. I put in offers. They got accepted and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the inspection it's not going to work out. Like one of these is going to fall through. Did the inspection? Nothing fell through. <laughs> so I thought, oh, this is fantastic. And then I thought, oh, I'm actually going to do this. So closed on them both the same day. And then a year later, I bought a fourplex in Michigan. And that was kind of the kickoff to my journey, my aha moment. And I think the more that I dove into this, the easier it was to talk about money, the easier it was to understand the financial decisions that I was making. And it's kind of exciting because I think people not in this world have a different opinion. It's like when I bought my duplexes, my dad was like, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? You're signing up to be a landlord. This is going to be terrible. You're going to have bad tenants. And I thought, mm, no, I, I actually think this is going to be pretty fun. And it it has been. Okay. So, And you said around 2016 is when you were introduced. How long was it before you bought the 
two duplexes. Were those your first properties too? They were. Okay. Uh, so they were my first rental properties. I had bought a couple of houses before that. My first house I bought with the idea that I was going to get married and white picket fence we bought near his family. When things didn't work out, I had this house and I became a reluctant landlord and had some pretty terrible experiences. I had to replace flooring after a tenant moved in. And although she said she had no pets, she had six dogs. Wow. <laughs> yeah. At least just say I have like one dog. Yeah. Right? Instead of like, oh, by the way, I actually have four dogs of my own and I'm caring for my daughter's two dogs. Yeah. And I ended up having to evict her. And I learned a lot about real estate then. Um, but I still wasn't introduced to the fire movement or how it could work for me. Instead, it was just, I have this house that I can't sell because the market has dropped and I'm stuck with it. And I became a reluctant landlord, bought a second house, and then... Right before I was introduced to Phi, I sold that house because they started road construction. I was like, there is no way I'm going to be sitting in traffic for this long. So I had sold two houses before I bought the real estate properties. I learned about financial independence in early 2016 and bought the duplexes in April. So once I was in, I was all in. I just needed someone to show me the way, I guess. Okay. And you went the real estate route, like right off the bat. It, was it because you had a little experience already or why did it uh, like resonate with you? So it really resonated with me because I work for a nonprofit. So our income is not this huge high paying salary. Instead, it's more of an impact. It's for impact. I'm doing this work because I really want to help people. I want them to have aha moments. And I knew with real estate, it could cover my housing and allow me to put more money away, which is exactly what I wanted to do. So I think that route worked for me. I don't know that it works for everyone. I don't know that everyone wants to be a landlord or deal with contracts and finding tenants and flushing through that. I wanted to try it. And then once I did, I was like, oh, I actually really enjoy this. I think I could do more of this. Okay. Yeah. And, and then we hear, because we, we don't have any real estate. And we have low interest in doing it. And I think now at this point, like we're comfortable with the decision, but Elizabeth, my wife still thinks like she hears your stories of like your Airbnbs and stuff and our other friends. And she's like, maybe we can convert our space up here. And I'm like, I think it'll be <laughs> fucking nightmare like to, to deal with. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm letting her talk about it and stuff, but um, yeah, luckily we, we haven't gone that route and yeah, it just, it doesn't sound like fun to me. And I was a reluctant landlord for a little while as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm good. I think it's best to know yourself. Yeah. And if she ever pushes too hard, she could come stay at my place for a weekend <laughs> and then hear everyone above and be like, oh, <laughs> maybe I don't want to have an Airbnb in my house. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I'm like, there's, we hear the good parts, but yeah, there's some other headaches that you have to deal with for mm -hmm. sure. Okay, so that that's cool. So what, yeah, what does your real estate portfolio look like right now? What do you have? Yeah, so I've got rental properties in Michigan. I have a couple of duplexes there. And then I bought a house here in Longmont and I Airbnb the upstairs and live in the downstairs. Okay, and then to highlight, um, you know, you mentioned the, the noise. Are there any other negatives to Airbnb being a place in which you live? Oh, yeah. So we were actually having this conversation earlier today. My neighbor's also Airbnb, and we have both had a string of 
not so great people staying with us. So in addition to the noise, sometimes people think it is also okay to go through all of your personal stuff that you have left up there that is labeled personal. Do not (laughs) open. (laughs) And you walk in and you're like, oh, so you've helped yourself to all of this extra shampoo, the you know, the perfume that I had here, my jewelry. Like this is interesting and it's just cheap stuff, but still people will go through everything that you have even if it's labeled as personal. Sometimes you walk in and you think, mm, "Those instructions, they were for a reason. It would be great if you had actually cleaned up after yourself and not <laughs> not decided to leave every piece of garbage that you accumulated." here somewhere, or decided to paint your nails on this really nice white rug (laughs) and spill nail polish. (laughs) So there are certainly downsides, and I think that we've all experienced them. And sometimes, too, because you live underneath, you realize how noisy people can be, and you hear the clitter-clatter and people moving things, and you're just like, oh, Oh, I really wish I could just make sure you didn't break anything. I'm not sure what that noise was. Ooh, this isn't good. But you can't do anything. Instead, you just smile and think, okay. And I will say, too, sometimes you can be too nice. So I had a guest earlier this year that asked if they could use my shower in the downstairs. So she was staying in the upstairs. She had locked herself out. I went, let her in. And she's like, oh, are you the one that's living downstairs? It's like, I am. And she said, can I use your shower after the triathlon? And I was like, no. (laughs) Actually said, oh, well, maybe. And then needed to be reminded that that was being too nice. And it's a hard pass. Why did she want to use your shower? She was traveling with a friend, and they were both doing the triathlon in Boulder. And she didn't want to wait 20 minutes for the bathroom upstairs to be open because there's only one bathroom. Oh, gotcha. They should just say whoever finished first gets to use the shower yeah, first. Yeah, it's a huge benefit. Little com- competition. Or, I mean, you're already sitting in your own filth coming from Boulder to Longmont. <laughs> so what's another 20 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Well, before we move on to the behavioral economics area, um, what else is in your portfolio? So you said you have, you know, a modest income, we'll say. You have the real estate income, which probably helps a lot. Do you have like other investments as well? Yeah, I think I follow kind of a very easy approach with the VTSAX and maxing out my retirement every year, making sure that I can get closer and closer. And that would kind of wrap up my portfolio. Okay. And then are you like on on a path where you really want to get to like fi and retire as soon as possible or because you know you're doing the nonprofit and you're trying to help people that there's no big rush. Yeah, there's no big rush. I've been with my company. It'll be 17 years next month. I know. Wow. <laughs> so I love what I do and I love that we're able to help people. I think we don't we're told don't talk about money politics or religion and i'm fine not talking about politics i could care less about religion money is so important and people don't know what they know they don't know if cash checking is normal like if payday loans are normal that's just what they think that they need to do and they have no idea that this whole other world is out here so to me that's really important and being able to help people and 
just give them that freedom so that it's not taking up all of this space in their minds and they have time to focus on friends, family, the things that matter. I love that. So I'm in no rush to retire. I think when I'm ready, I'll I'll do it. But I, for now, everything is working well. So I'm going to keep going. Perfect. Okay. So behavioral economics and... I'll let you kind of intro it and you can kind of okay. tell us the the origin also because you, you were like, oh, maybe we could talk about this thing. So why was this on your radar? Yeah, so this was on my radar because we talk about this a lot at work and we talk about how to make it easy for people to make financial decisions that are going to benefit them and how money is emotional, right? So if it's emotional, then how do you leverage those emotions and how do you name some of this behavior? I think a lot of times in the FI community, we look at how other people spend and we think, my gosh, are you nuts? Like, what are you doing? Why did you just buy that boat? Like, (laughs) you keep saying you're broke, but then you're doing this thing. Like, stop doing this. So being able to name those things makes it easier to have the conversation. It makes it more normal. It helps people see that, oh, yeah, like, it's not that my, my, sister wants to make these bad financial decisions. It's just that she doesn't know better or she's trying to keep up with some of these things. Well, let's talk about it. Like, let's actually have some empathy for people. Let's talk about how, yeah, it's completely normal for you to want to keep up with the Joneses. And because we're calling it out, maybe you can do something different. Perfect. And for people that are unfamiliar, we actually have a definition of behavioral economics and I'll let you, you can read it if you want. You can uh, like kind of parse it down or however you want to define it. But just so we're talking about the same thing and before uh, Dusty reads that, generally, I mean, these are cognitive biases. Like some of them you'll recognize, some of them will will be new, but you'll understand the behavior behind it. So Mm -hmm. if someone asked you to define it, what would you tell them? So I like this definition that you dug up, so we'll just go with this. Behavioral economics is a branch of economics that studies the effects of psychological, social, cognitive, and emotional factors on the economic decisions of individuals and institutions. It combines insights from psychology, neuroscience, and sociology to understand why people make decisions that don't always align with the traditional economic models predict. The field is often used to study and explain why people make irrational decisions, such as buying more than they can afford, or why they take risks that they know they shouldn't. You can read so well out loud. That was amazing. I I have a hard time reading like one sentence. So whenever we need uh, some narration, I'm going to call you. Perfect. That was amazing. So, and did you practice that earlier? I didn't. Excellent. You're we're, natural. We're really prepared. We <laughs> did this the day before. So <laughs> that's great. Okay. And why did you think this was a great topic, which you kind of uh, prefaced earlier, like, you know, why people buy boats and they're like doing things that they're saying that they don't want to do. But, you know, any other reasons or observations why you were like, hey, we should talk about this on the show? Yeah. I think when we think about the new year, It is typically a time where people think, oh, new year, new me, I'm going to change all of these things and I'm going to do it all at once. And we don't realize that that's actually pretty hard. And if you can make it easy for yourself, I think that that's a big benefit. And I also think we don't talk about money enough, but if we can normalize some of this, it makes sense. And I know when I sent this to you, you were like, oh, yeah, this is a big field. This kind of resonates with me. What made it resonate with you? 
Well, I'm, I am a big fan of all these different biases like we talked about and several of them. I, I'm trying to be aware so that when I make decisions, like I, I understand why I'm like resisting, even though it's pretty clear it's a better decision or one of the huge ones, which a lot of these overlap quite a bit, but just sunk costs are really hard to get past, whether it's, you know, your education or time that you put into your career. And when you're, you're looking like, oh, should I switch jobs to something where I'm a little happier or maybe I make less money or whatever? And you're like, well, I spent, you know, six years getting degrees and then I've spent 10 years and I've been networking and I have like capital, uh, you know, invested in it, time, social capital. And you're like, oh, I can't walk away from all of this, but you hate all of that stuff. And it's like, it's gone. Yeah. Like all that time, all that effort's gone. So it makes total sense. And a lot of, um, a lot of the Freakonomics books and topics are really, uh, I mean, it's behavioral economics. The whole, the whole thing is, and, you know, love, love that book. And then I haven't listened to the podcast recently, but generally I like what they're doing. So a lot of these are kind of front of my mind most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you talked about sunk cost bias right away, because I think it applies, like you said, to so many areas of our lives where, you know, you stay in a relationship for too long because you're like, Oh, well, I know this and this is fine. And I've already spent five years in this or six years or whatever it is. I can't change this. I can't change careers. I can't like, this is really comfortable. So let me just keep going. And how many of us get trapped? And then we're doing the same thing again and again and again and regretting it later because. Yeah. Oh, could have been out already. And then the longer you stay in it, the more sunk cost you have. So it's mm -hmm. a vicious cycle. Now, I think we there's like 40 some odd on the list that you first sent over. So we pared it down. We're not going to actually be able to get through all of these. So it may be like, uh, you know, one that we keep going back to. Now, I think we could just kind of run through them and have a few comments on, on them here and there. Before we, before we get to them, I want to plug uh, our Buy Me a Coffee page. So we're trying not to uh, have ads. <laughs> This is a live live read, so you're going to participate. <laughs> so we're trying not to uh, have ads from random companies in here, and we're aiming for donations. So it does cost a little money to produce this. We have an editor. We have a couple assistants that help out with things. So there's a link. We love it if people you know sign up for a monthly subscription. And I know uh, we had a couple YouTube commenters say, "Hey, you know this. You, you have these couple retired people trying to get donations, which." You could consume it for free, but if you support, if you like these shows, then you could help support us and we're not making money on it so far. We've, we've lost a lot of money over the last year and a half. Now, Dusty, have you ever donated to a creator via Patreon or buy me a coffee or something like that? Absolutely. Okay. And I would hope that we could use this herd mentality so you guys could know <laughs> I'm going to donate. So if I'm going to donate, maybe we can actually make it a thing. So if you guys like what you're hearing, I would encourage you to click on the link below and buy them a cup of coffee. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and it, I think one one thing we're doing is we're asking each guest if they donate and then they end up donating to us. So even if it's only the guests, <laughs> we <laughs> will take I'm feeling a that. lot of pressure yeah. right now. If you can't tell, I'm feeling a little awkward. Yeah, 
high pressure situation here. So the other thing is you get extra content. So over on Buy Me a Coffee, like we post pictures occasionally, we give people heads up on things that we're working on. There's different levels and, you know, Again, you can consume it for free. It's totally cool. But if you want to support the show, that's how you do it. And what are the levels? I would have to go back and look. I think I, I labeled them so it's dumb. It's like level one, and then it's like white asparagus, and then green asparagus. It's weird mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, there's uh, some highest level you can get. I think I'll write you a postcard quarterly, and you get a special T-shirt that no one else can get. And uh, there's actually a hangout. I forgot about this. So Alan Donegan, Carl, and myself, quarterly, we get together. We'll chat. You'll be on the Zoom or whatever format it is. And you get to chat with us, uh, just like part of the crew. That in itself makes it worth it, you guys. If you haven't met Alan Donegan yet, (laughs) he's so much fun to hang out with. So I feel like having the three of you, it's no brainer. Awesome. Again, you're, you're a natural here. So thanks, Dusty. Ready to get started? I'm ready. Okay. So the first one here is availability bias. And the general definition is people give undue weight to what easily comes to mind, often vivid memories or recent events. So yeah, where does that come into play for you? Anything come to mind? So this happens all the time. Think about when you walk into the stores right now. I used to work part-time at Michael's and it would drive me crazy because the day after Thanksgiving, all of the Christmas stuff would come up. And that just becomes the norm, right? You start buying Christmas stuff, you get into the holiday spirits, you're getting the Christmas lights that are there. I was just talking to our friend Amy yesterday, and she said that she went and she bought these beautiful Christmas lights. And she's like, I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to wait until after Christmas. So this is what was here. I got them. It's beautiful. So that's where I start to think about it. What about you? So specifically with Phi... And especially before I like moved to Longmont and met more people that were doing things a little bit differently, we just see people working like a full career and which if you're doing that, that's fine if that's what you want to do, but they were, they're working until they're 62 and that's just like normal. That is what is available. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to find examples of that. So it's kind of cool when in things, you know, shift gears and you're in a different environment and then you see like, Oh, there's actually almost all of our friends have some kind of flexible schedule or they're not working completely full-time or they're completely retired and they work on hobbies or like side projects all the time. And it's very easy to see like that. That's kind of a normal thing. So until you know, until I moved here and maybe like went to a camp five event, for example, that's great where you see a lot of people doing like either what you want to do or things kind of against the grain, like non-conventional careers or, uh, you know, career paths or, you know, just straight up retiring early makes it much easier to see like, oh yeah, this, this is the thing you can do. Mm -hmm. I actually think that that ties really well into the next one with confirmation bias, because When we see that, when we see that it's the norm to have a flexible schedule, it's just confirming that decision again and again and again. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can have flexibility. Or I think about our street where two of us have Airbnbs on our street and it just confirms like, hey, this is normal. You know, like I think it makes it easy to make decisions when someone is confirming it and saying, yeah, you're not crazy. And I think on the flip side, when we judge people I don't want to say judge, but when we look at people's spending, we think, oh, that's crazy. 
how many people buy a boat because their neighbor has a boat or they buy a snowmobile because their neighbor has a snowmobile or, you know, it's like you're getting into the things that your group is into and it's just confirming either a good decision or sometimes a decision that maybe you don't want to make. And if it's confirming the wrong thing, maybe you do need a new group of people to hang out with. And just curious um, for you, if you have like made purchases or something like that, just because like your friends were doing it and I'll, I'll go first, which I, I, I've purchased a few guitars. There's one next to me here, but then I started to talk to a couple friends who were kind of in the same position as us with uh, like a little extra money. And he, he bought a guitar recently too. And then I bought another one and then he, he just bought another guitar. So it's, <laughs> we're like, Oh yeah. And we're actually confirming because we're like, this is amazing. I should have bought a nicer guitar like 10 years ago. This is fantastic. They're going to last like a lifetime or longer. And they're expensive. But at some point we're like, oh, we have the money to buy a nice guitar. So are there any things that you have purchased where you're like, ah, you know what? This is a high priority for me. I will spend the money on it. And people might think it's it's the equivalent of the boat that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So what's yours? I definitely have things that I spend money on that people are like, oh my, yeah, <laughs> like dusty. One of the big things is running shoes. I buy a new pair of running shoes every six weeks. And if I find them on sale, I will get a lot. I think I was telling you <laughs> at, at this race that we just did last year, I bought seven pairs of the same running shoes. So you know, I spent almost $400 on shoes in one day. I love them. They make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have heard, like, if you find a pair of shoes that you like, like, buy as many as you can, as many as you can afford, like, get those. Because they change models. Some things, you know, or shift. Yeah. And you want to lock in that quality. Absolutely. So <laughs> that's what I did. I was thinking too, like with this example, when we talk about confirmation bias, recently we had this Christmas cookie making party, which was a ton of fun. And one of the people at the party had just quit her job. And we were all like, woo, nice job, nice work. And I think that that is one of the things that happens in our community where we confirm that, yes, you're making a great decision if you leave a job that is making you miserable. Or we kind of confirm some of these good decisions. And I don't know if Elizabeth has had a chance to tell you, she is officially down to three days now. Yeah, yeah. So she hasn't told me, but that's amazing. Okay, we'll act surprised. Okay, I'll um, act whenever. Shocked. Yeah, yeah. She oh. doesn't listen to the show. Yeah, yeah. Like really over the top. <laughs> so, okay, perfect. So that's confirmation bias. Um, kind of wrapped in again. A lot of these do overlap, especially if you look at a specific um, scenario, like five different biases. Like you could figure out how to squeeze them in. There's a big Venn diagram on this, but you know, for the confirmation bias, again, I'll just highlight the corporate world. That's where I'm kind of orienting a lot of this. So I think confirmation keeps us in the corporate world or working at jobs since we find um, info that keeps us in that cage. And, you know, part of it is one that we haven't gotten to also, but like when you're just around a bunch of people who are like, it's normal to travel every week across the country to work for four days and then fly back and like barely catch up and be able to do your laundry or work 12 or 14 hour days. It's just, it's 
it can be normal, but for a lot of people, that's not ideal. For me, it was not great. I, I did not, it was kind of cool at first when you're like in your twenties and you're like, oh, I'm really important, but you're not really important. It's just a drag. Well, and I think that that's the beauty of this is knowing that that's not normal, which we do now, allows you to share these ideas with people that still think it is normal and to say, hey, I just heard this podcast. I think you should listen to it. Or, hey, I just read this book. Like, let me send you this information um, because it is different. Like, you don't have to confirm the norm. You can be like Scott Rickens and up uproot your entire life and just change things. But you have to know that that's possible first. And quick note, who's, who's Scott? So I was trying to think of the name of his documentary, but Scott and Taylor shot a documentary called um, Playing With Fire, where they actually uprooted their life and moved from San Diego or Coronado to Bend, Oregon. And they just spent some time figuring out what was important to them. And they found that like a lot of these things, they were worried about hurting. So hurting is just when people tend to do what others are doing. And they found that in Coronado, those were the things that they were doing. It's just what everyone else was doing. And they made a list of what are the things that make us happy. And hardly any of those things required any money. And then they decided to pursue that life. And now they have it. Now they have community and they're surrounded by people that are important to them. So, yeah, I think you just need that aha moment. Yep. And it's kind of our job to share that. We interviewed Scott some time ago. I'll link up in the description here so people could check that out. Let's move on to default bias. So do you want to highlight this yeah. one here? So people pick the easiest option to avoid complex decisions using defaults as a cognitive shortcut and signal for what they're supposed to do. Have you ever heard of the jam study? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what this makes me think of. Like when people have 24 options of jam, they're thinking, oh, God, what do I do? But if you have three, it's easy to pick. And this is kind of how my brain works, too. Like, I cannot have too many options. It just feels like too much. But if you give me three options, then I say, oh, I can make a decision. And uh, just out of curiosity, so if you do have, like, a ton of options and you have to make a decision, because the default is you make no decision and you don't buy any jam. So what do you do? when you have to make a decision and you have like 20 choices, how do you do it? So I just remodeled my house last year. And if you could have seen the wall where I was trying to figure out paint colors, I had about 50 different paint colors where I just, like the poor guy that sold samples was like, oh, oh, poor you. We're going to give you a regular discount. <laughs> you're, you're too much. I have to narrow it down to like three, and then I can make a decision from the three. And I struggle with that. So if you have any tips, I'm all ears. Before I suggest a uh, solution, are you an optimizer or a satisficer? Ooh, I think someone has just read The Happiness Project. Recently, I have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I am more of a satisficer than an optimizer because in the past I've tried to be an optimizer and I find it to be too overwhelming. Like there are way too many options. So I'd rather just pick something and say, yep, I made a decision. It meets all my criteria. I'm good. Let's keep moving versus, oh, I think there's something better. There's something better. There's something. Uh, uh, yeah. It just 
makes me cringe. Yeah, yeah. So, well, the bad part is there probably is something better, like no matter what you pick. So, like, you <laughs> automatically lose. It's an ongoing debate in my marriage um, with the... Sometimes yeah. that's why I wonder if I'm still single. I'm like, there's always someone better, right? <laughs> <laughs> there, and the, yeah, there is, unfortunately. And then, yeah. So the potential solution, since you're, I'm a satisficer as well, um, just pick something and you're like, all right, it's probably going to work. It, I mean, you may still have to narrow it down. It sounds like you have a strategy, but, and then you have to move forward, but Paint, paint is a tough one because it's like um, nearly infinite choices if you go up to the, mm-hmm. you know, the counter there. Um, but yeah, most of the time I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? There's so many choices. I'm just going to nearly arbitrarily pick one and then like hope it turns out. And after I did that if, like several times, it almost always works out pretty much fine. And uh, I'm like, all right, it, it doesn't matter. I don't have to spend too much time researching as long. Like you said, minimum criteria. Mm-hmm. We can move forward, optimize it later if we can. Well, and you keep talking about how these all overlap and they do. It just reminds me of decision paralysis, which sometimes I get caught in because there's so many decisions that you you do want to just not make a decision. So I love that idea of just choose something, try it. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, you just change, right? You do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Too many choices. And yeah, I see it at, um, actually, I kind of like Sam's or Costco because they don't have as many like infinite choices, like there's peanut butter, like that's the peanut butter you're going to get, or you can, you know, make it complicated and go somewhere else, but you don't have as many choices, but it's really good because then you don't have to stand there and like try to figure out a million things. Yeah. That's what I like about online grocery shopping too. And just doing the store pickup, Uh, you know, at Sam's you can do that and you just add to cart, add to cart, add to cart, go in. I'm already done. Oh yeah. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't gone down that route. I usually, I shop with, um, like the senior citizens often. I think it's like Mm. Tuesdays or Wednesdays in the morning. (laughs) It's great. You know, weekends are bananas. Whole families are in there. There's, it's just a a zoo. Um, I agree. I kind of like going through the store and like picking my own meat stuff. So you, you just do the yeah, I do pick up for everything except produce and meat because produce and meat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a little iffy. You're like, okay, I realize that you know you're 16 and you're trying to grab my groceries. It's probably not easy to know what avocados to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay, so what's next here? We have the endowment effect. So what, what's this one? People overvalue what they own. Absolutely. How many people do you suggest, hey, maybe you could downsize your house or maybe you could sell that car, especially the people you're trying to introduce to FI and you suggest that they move because they have this huge house with four bedrooms and three baths and now their kids have moved out and they look at you like, wait, what? I I can't do that. I need this car. I need this house. But it's because we overvalue what we own and it's hard to think about how things could maybe be different or more beneficial if you are willing to change. And I like, I I didn't know the name of this one. And I think, you know, part of this also goes into sunk cost also because there's a sunk cost Mm -hmm. in the home in your example there. And there's pros and cons. So I know one pro potentially if you're already in uh, sort of uh, the spot that you want to be, 
you would overvalue what you own that would kind of lock you into the good spot that you want to be anyway. So for me, and th- there's a double-edged sword on this too. So I have a Ford F-150. So it's a V8 gas guzzler, but I, I don't drive much. I drive probably less than 2,500, 2,000 miles per year. Like I hardly drive at all. Um, and it's paid for. It's a 2005. I've had it for a long time and I overvalue it. So probably not going to buy a new car or anything and I don't drive too much. So kind of keeps me locked in. The other side is I overvalue it and technically I could sell it. And then, you know, someone else would have to deal with the uh, relatively low, but there's still cost annually for maintenance or insurance or registration or whatever. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I didn't know. So it's, that one's called endowment effect. Do you, do you have any examples of uh, this one, like in your own personal? Yeah. Life? So things that I definitely overvalue. It's a good one. I, I don't have any examples at the moment. Okay. I tend to be the opposite end of the spectrum where I know I, I like I'm driving my parents crazy because they're trying to get rid of all of their things before they pass away. So they're like, tell us what you want. Tell us what you want. And I'm like, I don't really want, like there's maybe three things that I want because I really value those things and everything else. I'm like, you know, please get rid of it. Because <laughs> otherwise it's going to be a lot more work when you go. Yeah. But when I moved out here, I sold everything that I couldn't fit in my Chevy Volt. And came so you know like i don't really have a lot of things that i necessarily hold so dear that i'm not getting rid of what kind of stuff is it if you're if you can go into it just curious that like uh, for my parents yeah. so my grandma has a really old cookie jar it's a mickey and Minnie mouse cookie jar one side is mickey mouse and the other side is Minnie mouse it was my grandma young's and then she passed on to my mom i would love to have that so it's like one of the things that means a lot to me that I would I would like to keep. Um, and then there's a cookie jar that was a complete disaster when my dad bought it for my mom. It was supposed to be a surprise. My sister and I ruined the surprise. So he had our dentist. I come from a really small town and our dentist owned a gift shop. So my dad had ordered this cookie jar. We went to try to pick it up. We got stuck in the snow. We had to call my mom to get it. <laughs> <laughs> to, to get help so that we could get pulled out. And we had the cookie jar. She saw it. It completely ruined the surprise. <laughs> so I, like those things that have memories, those are the things that I want. And everything else, I'm kind of like, well, you know, it's fine. But those are the things that I have really good memories about. And I'm like, I kind of like to have that in my kitchen to just remind me about this, you know, complete disaster that we had. So only cookie jars? Is that the... Yeah, really only cookie jars. (laughs) My dad owns some property that I wouldn't mind inheriting part of that. Um, But other than that, now it just seems... I think the only other thing that maybe I would want, but it also just sounds like a lot of work, is that for my mom's 50th birthday, my dad bought her a Mustang. And my mom delivers mail. So she had seen the Mustang come into the lot and... She kept ragging on my dad, like, we should buy that car. We should buy that car. We should buy that car. And my dad was like, he already knew it was sold and that he had bought it. So he's like, no, no, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. And they kept getting into fights. And my mom kept calling me and she's like, 
I'm just going to kill your dad. (laughs) He says we can't afford these things and I'm so pissed and I'm so tired of this bullshit. And and my dad would call me. My dad was like, I don't know how much longer I can keep this a secret (laughs) from her. (laughs) And finally it all came to a head and they got into a huge fight about it. And my dad was like, Look, it's already yours. Here are the keys. And he <laughs> flicked the keys at her. <laughs> and I wouldn't mind inheriting the car just because it has this great memory with it. Yeah. You know? But I don't know if I would. I mean, it's it's a beautiful, like, apple red Mustang. Yeah. But I'm sure it would be fun to drive. And I'm sure won't have a ton of miles. But I just like the stories that go with it. Like, those are the things that you're just like, mm, yeah, this yeah. is kind of what it's about. This, like, uh a scene from a sitcom or a movie or something like that. It's crazy. I can just like picture it all happening too. I can just picture because you know how once you know how someone is, like you know what they're like when they're pissed, and I can just imagine my mom nagging and just you know really making my dad feel bad, and then my dad getting so mad. So he was just trying to get a nice gift, you know. Yeah, just trying to surprise her, <laughs> and it didn't quite like he just needed another twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah and i think about that too so back, still on the endowment effect um luckily uh my parents have trimmed it like my mom passed away a couple years ago but we trimmed in a lot of the stuff and it's it's tough because some of the things are like heirlooms like you mentioned but other things are, it's just like old shit that we don't want yeah. like we don't have room for it we don't like maybe and mm-hmm. i'll I can't be too generic, but I don't think I, I got in trouble last time. I can't be too specific, but um, let's say it's a a large, um, and I won't say who it is. People that know me know what I'm talking about, but there's many others that don't. So I'll just say like, if any one of us like got a huge thing, like a piano, mm-hmm. like there's no room for that where we live and we don't play the piano. So what, And how what would you, you get do? it from there to here? <laughs> yeah. There's many, and then there's a lot of other things like we don't even, like when we got married, we didn't ask for like uh, fine china or anything like that. We, like we were adults. We had our own shit already. We didn't need a bunch of dishes, especially dishes that we're not going to use. So heirloom, like grade china, like we definitely don't want that. Uh, Where would we put it? We wouldn't use it. We already have dishes. Like we're not completely like utilitarian about things. But uh, largely, yeah, like we just don't want to like have something sitting on a shelf to never use. So, well, and I love what you said, right? We're already adults. So, you already have all of those things. And then when you get more of them, they could serve someone else much better than what they could maybe serve us. Right. Yeah. And the good part is we, we have, uh, you know, siblings and nieces and nephews. So, maybe it can go to them or at least you know, skip us. We have no kids, you know, we're hardly, we're middle children, hardly important. You know, you know what I mean? I know. I know being a middle child, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. You get through, but maybe that means we don't get as much of the junk uh, via inheritance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Okay. What's next here? I think this is a great one. Why don't you take that dusty? The hurting that people tend to do what others are doing. So, I love this, and I think it's part of why I really love Longmont, is that you, the things that people here do tend to be the things that I want to do. 
Like I love being able to go hiking and finding people that want to do it. I love that we threw a Christmas cookie party. I love that we all hang out. And, you know, there's, I feel like there is this confirmation bias and also just this community that is doing things that are making us better. And I really love that we all do dinners together and that it's normal where I've lived places before and that hasn't been normal. It's taken like a long time to get people to embrace these ideas and to say, oh yeah, like we can all have have dinners together because we're neighbors and that's just how it should work. Um, But it feels very normal here. Mm -hmm. What do you think about yeah, definitely. And this is, um, again, going back to the the corporate idea, you know, if you're just around a bunch of people who are trying to climb the corporate ladder, then you're probably going to aim in that direction, or maybe they are upgrading their lifestyle whenever they get a promotion or raise versus, you know, saving a little bit more to maybe leave that job sooner, perhaps. And then, yeah, like you said, being here, I mean, we moved, we moved to Longmont, in 2019, because Elizabeth got a job in Boulder and it's a little cheaper up here, we were familiar. Actually, um, there's a lot of good breweries around here, so I knew of the area already. And we didn't connect with a community until maybe six months after we moved here. And I just joined the co-working space and then promptly like never worked there, but started to, <laughs> I still don't, by the way. Good social uh, aspect though. So whenever there's a happy hour thing going on, like I started to meet people and then now the community aspect is huge. And yeah, like you said, it's pulling us towards things that we uh, want to do or want to do more of, or that are positive and just like generally better versus, um, you know, I loved uh, my friends in Bozeman and I had a good community, mainly in the homebrew community Mm. and a lot of brewers as well, like at the, at the pro brew level. And um, that's fun. That's great. But basically every activity you're just getting drunk, uh, which is fun. Sometimes uh, it can be a yeah. lot, but it but also it might be hurting you in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically it's not too healthy. And if you're like trying to, uh, you know, get better sleep and not drink as much, it's like the wrong group to hang out with. Um, again, everyone was great and I like love to do that and drink and go to the breweries and like get the special beers. Cause I know the, my, my friends can, can hook me up with those, but yeah, it's not a healthy lifestyle. No. And I think that that actually is a really good question to ask yourself if you're listening to this and maybe you're not happy with where you are is what is your community hurting you to do? You know, like, what is that? What does that look like? And are you making the decisions that you want to make or are you just kind of going along with the group? Mm-hmm. Now, we keep talking about Longmont and people should come and visit, by the way. So come and visit if you're passing mm-hmm. through Colorado or make make the trip out here. Yes. But um, most people are not going to be able to move here, maybe not even visit. So do you have any suggestions for finding the right community wherever they're at? Yeah, I think Meetup is a great place to start. I think you can find a lot of people that are very similar. I moved from the Detroit area, and I had a great community like this in the Detroit area that I found through ChooseFI, the ChooseFI meetups, which I really enjoyed. And I think just doing more of what you really enjoy attracts other people that are doing the same thing. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like if you are doing the things that you enjoy, after a while, I think you you start to 
find that group or find that herd that you want to be a part of. Yep. Anything to add? Uh, just another shout out to the Choose FI groups. Never uh, participated myself just because I got lucky by moving here. But I know those are um, fantastic. So check those out. And I mean, probably wherever you live, unless you're in a very, very small community, there's probably already like that group there and you just need to hook up to them. One other thing, if you can, is go to like um, a Camp Fi. Yeah. And those are... Yeah, really awesome. You will make connections there. It's, it's kind of like a retreat. And, you know, you'll spend time with people uh, anywhere, I think between like 60 and maybe 90 people or so. You'll be able to talk to almost everyone. It's over a weekend. You can have long conversations, kind of low key. And then you'll be able to connect with them and, you know, have a longer relationship. So those are yeah. throughout the country. And yeah, super fun. Yeah, I have yet to be to one. But yeah. I would definitely say, like, if you can get yourself there or get yourself to economy, you know, either one, you're going to find people and you're going to connect. And the more that you do that, the more you'll find your herd. Yep. And I'm actually I'm wearing an economy shirt right now. And Carl and I will definitely be there. Uh, I booked my hotel like a week ago or so. So mm -hmm. I'm good to go. And I think we have a discount code. I'm not sure how much the discount is, but it'll be in the show notes. But if you want to hang out with Carl and I, we'll definitely be there. So are you going this year? You can hang out with me too. Okay. Dusty I'll will be, be there, there too. Awesome. Do you already book your uh, stuff, your uh, flights? Do you know when you're going there? I don't. Okay. I haven't booked, but I am doing an Airbnb with like six other people. So that should be fun. Oh, really? Is it like uh, same location, basically neighborhood or whatever? Yep. Oh, that's cool. I never thought of doing the uh, Airbnb. Mm -hmm. It'll be like the party house. This way you wouldn't have to share a room with Carl. I'm just <laughs> saying. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, look right now. So Carl Carl and I are not sharing a room. No no uh no uh -oh. issue. He he ha he'll have uh some family there. Mm. Um so I'm solo right now, which is cool. But you could come into our Airbnb maybe. Potentially. Yeah, is there a hot tub? I don't know, but no. I'll find out for you. Okay. Because there's, there's a hot tub, not... that might be the selling point. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Okay, herding is fantastic. And I think, yeah, it's, it's called peer pressure is the other way to look at it. Yeah, so, keeping up with positive. the Joneses. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> next one is loss aversion. So people react to losses more strongly than gains and try to prevent losses more than they try to make gains. So- what do you think? Yeah. So this one makes me think of what's happening right now with how volatile the stock market is and how everyone in our community is being told, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You're buying things on sale. Let it ride. Let it ride. And we all know that that's the right thing to do. And also it feels crappy because you're watching your money go down. And I think it's important to know that that's okay. Like it's totally normal for it to be good and bad at the same time. So that's what I think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, for me as a, in quotes, a content creator where I have podcast and YouTube and some other stuff, the negative comments, you know, they really stick a little bit more in your head. Mm. I don't read comments too often. And luckily on, you know, this show, uh, they're largely positive. They're largely positive. Except the guys that don't want to donate because you're two retired guys putting yeah. out great content. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we're like, just, you know, dig a little deeper and give us your money. But 
largely very positive. And by the way, that comment, I I, I don't delete those because I was like, that's a valid point. So I answered, I'm sure he, he or she never read it again. But um, yeah, so I think about that portion of it where it's just like negativity bias, which I, I guess is another another one. So maybe I'm mixing them up a little bit. As far as the the loss aversion, I think I I don't have a huge issue with it only because I I learned um some lessons and we were chatting before we started recording. So after uh the dot com bubble burst, I didn't invest as much then. And then after the Great Recession. I didn't invest as much then, also. And then, you know, if you look at the the returns, it was pretty good. You know, two three years after that, and you you know you can't really time the market. And I learned that yeah. you can't time the market. So I was actually talking to a buddy yesterday, who had he was like, yeah, I got you know seventy k in this one account. I have fifty k in a savings account. It's just too volatile for me to invest. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? this is crazy. Like, do you need the money in the next like three to five years? He was like, no. And I was like, it's retirement money. Right. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, who gives a fuck? Like you're looking like at least 10 years or more out. Like if, if it doesn't swing back, like we're all kind of screwed um, or we're in some longer recession or something. But so I think I convinced him, I convinced him to at least dollar cost average in, but he was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm basically, he was like, I'm trying to time the market. And I'm like, you're, you're going to miss the day. Like by the time yeah. it, it looks smart to invest, it's like, it's, it's already past you. So I just have to set it and forget it. Yeah. And it's so hard, but if you can, I think, so I think it kind of ties into the next one, which is the ostrich effect, where sometimes the ostrich effect is actually a good thing. Like if you can bury your head in the sand and pretend that nothing is happening, which is all that the ostrich effect is. Sometimes it's a good thing because if you can say like, okay, I'm putting that $50,000 over here and then I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and everything's going to be fine. That's working in your favor. And <laughs> right? Like it's a good oh, thing. Yeah. And most of the time we hear the ostrich effect and we think, oh, this is just the idiot that has no idea what's going on with their money, is afraid to take agency, doesn't want to know. Sometimes it's a good thing. Like when yeah. you don't know, sometimes it's a good thing. Yeah. And you know what? I didn't read this one all the way. I mean, I had the idea with the ostrich head in the sand. I am awesome at this. I haven't looked at any accounts probably in four months or so. I mean, I hear, uh, and I'm generally aware the S&P 500 movements and all that stuff. So I know it's down, but yeah, like because of the reasons I mentioned before, I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't even know. Yeah. And I know everything will be fine. So this is what I love about this community is that it's a progression, right? Like at the beginning, you can't be an ostrich. You actually have to get a grip on what's going on with your money, where your money is going, what your patterns are. And then you kind of get in the middle and you're like, oh. I've kind of got this figured out. Now is a good time to go into ostrich effect because everything is on autopilot. I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to set it and forget it and everything's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super good at this. Just not paying attention, hoping everything will turn out fine. But I got, I got to yeah. a spot where like, it's okay to be mm -hmm. unaware and oblivious. Just keep that in your financial arena. Don't yeah. do that in your marriage. I, I Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. So I was going to say, I think we could kind of wrap it up here. I have a, 
and we can hold on to the other ones for uh, some other time in the future. Is that cool with you, Dusty? That would be great. Now, before we finish up, we're actually recording this before uh, the end of the year. So it'll. Mm. this is going to come out in the new year. But do you do like resolutions or anything at the beginning of the year? I do. So I, I really like the idea of resolutions and resolving to change things. And I usually do like a sticky note planning session where I take sticky notes and jot down all of the things that I might want to do yeah. and then prioritize based on what I actually am going to do. What about okay. you? Do you have any New Year's resolutions? No, I usually don't do them. Oh, so well, way to set yourself up for a <laughs> mediocre year. <laughs> There's so, no failure. It, it's perfect. So, um, and I'm not sure the order of uh, the episodes or when, when they're going to come out exactly, but JD Roth and I just recorded an episode on goals and resolutions and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so generally, I I've been trying to throttle back on like goals and stuff like that since maybe 2018 or so. And JD and I go deeper into it. But usually I don't set resolutions because if I'm like, oh, I want to do something, I'll go ahead and get started like any time of year. And the end of year, new year, like it, it's not a big delineation for me. So I'm not like, ah, oh, new beginnings yeah. and a new me or something like that, which I think is great if other people do uh, respect to that. But I'm just like, ah, I'm just trying to uh, just be I mediocre. love the idea of starting immediately. <laughs> but if you are like most people yeah. and you need that fresh start, your new year, Mondays, birthdays, those are great times to jump in. Yep. So you don't have to tell us, but do you have one or two things that you know are high priority? Have you already done your sticky note session? I haven't. Okay. So we can revisit it after I do my sticky note session and I can tell you what I come up with. Okay. That's perfect. That sounds good. Well, Dusty, this has been amazing. Really fun to chat with you. Um, are you online anywhere? Can people find you or do you want people to find you? You can find me on Instagram or Facebook as Dusty Nicole. Um and I'd be happy to connect. Okay, cool. We'll link up so people can get to it. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast. And I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host. And Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five. And uh, actually, we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.
are the lights in here as intimidating as I want them to be? <laughs> <laughs> it's very scary. I okay. kind of want to run out the front door. Okay. <clears throat> Great. That's what they're there for. Also for, for YouTube and lighting, but you, uh, you run a lot, don't you, Dusty? A little bit. Mm-hmm. So did you run today already? And how far did you go? So I've only gone two miles so far today. And then when I leave, I think I'm going to do another eight. Another eight. Okay. Are you training for anything? Not yet. I saw a post about doing a triathlon next year, and I think maybe that will be my next adventure. Okay. Have what you about done, you? Uh, which part? Am I training, training for, any- for anything? No. Have you still decided to retire from running? Yep. I'm still retired from running, although... I, my Achilles is doing a little better. So I did, I think I told you, um, is it the active release, the scraping where you actually like try to inflame and, you know, irritate the area. So I did that and it actually like helped a little bit. I've continued to do like the normal physical therapy shit that I'm supposed to do. I may make an appointment. Um, our insurance is going to change soon. So I think more stuff might be covered. And I may do some more physical therapy and do uh, dry needling. Have you ever done that? No. I don't know. I mean, they, they could probably just call it needling. They, you know, they put a needle in you. There's nothing in it. And then I think, again, it just tries to irritate the area so that your body tries to heal it. That's the idea. Hmm. But anyway, it's feeling a little better. So maybe in some time. I'm not going to push it because every time I try to run, it just gets, uh, you know, I'm, I'm down for six weeks after that or something. So it's way too long. Yeah. So I'm still keeping my cardio up. Not as good as running, but still keeping the cardio up and, you know, I still work out a little bit. Yeah. So, on occasion. A little. Yeah. And then do you do any other, uh, like workouts or do you just run? Primarily I run and then I've been doing a lot of hot yoga lately at Soul 19, our local yoga studio. How hot is it in there? 102 degrees. Okay. Enough for you to get your sweat on and some people sweat a little more than others. (laughs) (laughs) You you start to know who those people are and you're like, hmm, I'm not going to put my mat next to that person because there's some overflow and I'd rather not participate. So 102, how how um, long are the classes? 65 minutes. Okay. So you always do the same 26 poses, which is kind of nice. It's 45 minutes of basically standing poses, and then you lay down, and you've got 15 minutes of more relaxing poses. Um, so it's a nice workout, lots of sweat. Okay. Probably feels pretty good when you first go in, especially like a cold day like today. And tomorrow, like I'm definitely planning to go tomorrow when it's going to be negative 15 and running is not an option. Yeah. How, what, what is the temperature cutoff for running for you? Anything under five degrees, I'm out. Okay. And that's five Fahrenheit. (laughs) Yes. So you'll go all the way down to like five, six degrees. You'll still run Mm -hmm. out there. Yes. Just shorter distances. And it makes me run faster because it's completely miserable. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to do it first thing before your your brain registers that you're an idiot and you're going out there. Yeah. But once you're there, it's it's fine. And how long does it take you to like warm up? First mile. Okay. And then after the first mile, you're 
I always think people people are like, this chick is homeless because I have a million different layers. <laughs> and after the first mile, then, you know, you take the first one off and you have it tied around your waist. And then you get to mile two and sometimes you're shedding socks and you have the socks tied around your shirt. So, <laughs> so by the time I'm done, I'm usually in just my base layer with everything tied somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And finally, we could talk... Uh, the whole day about running. So um, I had one more question here, but now I can't remember what it is. So now's a, a good a time to uh, wrap it up for the sound check.